Welcome to the Bigger Pockets Money Podcast, show number 221, where we interview Darius Smith and talk about being conscious of your finances. Hey, I found this FI thing and I'm also interested in personal finance. I need you to like not spend any money so we can like budget and figure our lives out. <laughs> so that was a process to get that like through one, from one year through the other. Hello, hello, hello. My name is Mindy Jensen. And with me, as always, is my forward-thinking co-host, Scott Trench. You're always in front of us with these new adjectives to describe you, Mindy. Thank you so much. (laughs) Scott and I are here to make financial independence less scary, less just for somebody else, to introduce you to every money story, because we truly believe financial freedom is attainable for everyone, no matter when or where you're starting. That's right. Whether you want to retire early and travel the world, go on to make big time investments in assets like real estate, start your own business, or claw your way out of debt and back to zero. We'll help you reach your financial goals and get money out of the way so you can launch yourself towards those dreams. I am so excited to introduce Darius Smith to our listeners. I love his story. It starts out kind of the same as everybody else's. I had some debt and then I paid it off. But what I really love about his journey is that he is conscious of his money and conscious of his spending and conscious of his investing and conscious of his financial situation all the time. And that really does make the difference between financial success and financial unsuccess, which isn't a word. Yeah, I, I think um, you know, he, he made a lot of decisions that put him and his wife in the hole uh, years ago. And in the last couple of years, have really has really, I think, have taken a very sophisticated fundamentals-based approach to navigating his way out of money. And then uh, compounded that, uh, the whole situation, is a very nuanced, but I think intelligent navigation of the COVID situation. How do you handle COVID when you've got moving parts of multiple parts of debt, new jobs, moves for your family, all that kind of stuff? And he made a lot of interesting decisions that I think some may find controversial. But I, after thoroughly dissecting those decisions with him on the show, feel showcase a high level of intelligence and, and frankly, the right approach. I, I tr- I'm trying to think that may- I think I would have done very similar set of actions to him in his set, in, in his set of circumstances after discussing with him. So I think we'll learn a lot. And I think that there, you know, the way that he conducts, conducted his affairs and, and, and gotten the situation that he's presently in is evidence, I think, of, of a, a good level of sophistication and intelligence and hard work and perseverance and all that kind of good stuff. So I think it's a fantastic episode and yet another difficult and unique perspective. Yeah. You, Scott, I really, really enjoyed listening to his story. And once he explains the reasoning behind his choices, it makes so much more sense. And, you know, I want to highlight that he's what he's doing is well within the constraints of the mortgage and the student loans and, you know, the programs that are available right now. So he's not doing anything, you know, illegal or immoral, in my opinion. Um, But I think it's a I, th- I think it's a, an interesting perspective. Yeah, I think it's a, a sophisticated, advanced approach that he says, hey, in the period of uncertainty, I'm going to give myself the greatest financial flexibility and largest pool of options, even if that could cost me a small amount of interest or whatever else downstream with that. And I think I think that that's a, that, that's a really 
strong approach when you are faced with a lot of uncertainty with that is create that flexible position and go from there. So I think we're going to learn a lot from, from Darius. Remember when you had to pay to get a lead's phone number? It was like the dark ages until Deal Machine made skip tracing a thing of the past. Now, with your Deal Machine plan, you'll get unlimited access to phone numbers and contact information for no extra cost. That's right. Get high quality, reliable information trusted by leading financial institutions, all fully compliant with the federal do not call list. Explore over 150 data points, including age, gender, marital status, occupation, and a ton more. Trust me, this is the data you need for off-market deals. With new filters, people flags, and color-coded phone numbers, lead management just got a ton easier. Ready to step up your investing game? Sign up for a Deal Machine plan today and gain immediate access to this unlimited treasure trove of contact information and phone numbers. Just head to dealmachine.com BP. Transform your lead generation and deal-making strategies with Deal Machine. Sign up today and start exploring the unlimited possibilities at dealmachine.com BP. When it comes to financial guidance, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When Mindy and I want to upgrade our wallets, we turn to NerdWallet. Scott's right. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, Mindy and I were paying for vacations in cash, missing out on miles, and not even knowing what we're leaving on the table. But now we're flying through the skies for free, thanks to our new cards with more miles and upgrades than ever. So if you want more travel rewards, hotel upgrades, or airport lounge access, no matter where you go next, let NerdWallet help you make it happen with a killer travel card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at NerdWallet.com. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms of each credit card issuer apply. This show is sponsored by Airbnb. Did you know that I turned one of my first homes into an Airbnb? It's true. And it even helped me get the extra income I needed to launch my real estate career. So if you want to try your hand at making even more income with your property, Airbnb is the place to be. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash host. Should we bring him in? Darius Smith. Welcome to the Bigger Pockets Money Podcast. I'm so excited to talk to you today. I am very excited as well. I've been a longtime listener and I've uh, looked forward to this moment. Not that this is like my goal or anything, but... <laughs> this isn't the pinnacle of your existence? Uh, I'm going to go with no, but it is definitely a very <laughs> exciting day for me, though. <laughs> I like the honesty. I appreciate the honesty. Uh, okay, well, let's jump right into it. Where does your journey with money begin? So for me, I would say it began as a kid. Um, I have a lot of people in my family that are entrepreneurs, or I would say one specific person. I have an aunt that was an entrepreneur that helped raise me a lot, and she loved money. And I think I just got a love for money. I always wanted to be a millionaire. Um, and I just, I guess she just taught me a lot of different things about money. Um I was always like a side hustler from growing up. Um, I have siblings and I think I have, I have four brothers. And I think one of my brothers specifically is one that's like the hustler of the family. So we always like learned a lot from him. Um, I remember like growing up, we would like make money on the weekends and then like go home and iron it and come home and like fold our bills and make it look all real crispy and cool. Uh, my dad always worked a million gazillion jobs. Um, we were the guys that were doing eviction notices, putting on your houses. We were the ones doing the paper routes. I think everybody in my family has had a paper route 
Um, I think we also were the people that delivered phone books. I know people don't have them anymore, but we did that. Uh, my mom worked at a bank. Um, and I didn't think much of it at the time, but uh, I think I opened my first bank account when I was like eight or nine. And she was like a joint person on that account. But going back and thinking about it, um, that probably all built into me being really frugal and growing up the way that I did. And, uh, and I think I grew up very frugal, probably cheap starting off. And I think it's kind of growing into frugality now. Um, and... Uh, that's probably the very beginning of it. Um, I can kind of give more detailed stories growing up as well, too. Well, you did mention the F word, frugality, which is my favorite F word. Um, <laughs> I think that's awesome. I think frugality is really huge in the journey to financial independence because, it, and there's, you know, Scott's got his four, um, his four levers, spend less than you earn. If you only spend this much money every year, but you make this much money, then you have a lot more opportunity to try new things because your your outlay, your financial outlay is so low. And there are people on the other side of the coin who are like, oh, you should just make more money. Well, that's great. It's, it's you know, of course, everybody wants to make more money, but that's not always the option. That's not always easy. And if you spend, you know, let's say I spend like 30 or $40,000 a year. And if I spent $120,000 a year, there's a whole lot less opportunity out there for me to take a job that, you know, that pays low, but has great experience, or, you know, I have to make at least $120,000 a year if that's what I'm spending every year. So when you reduce your expenses, I think your opportunities expand exponentially, which is a lot of X's in that one <laughs> For sure. So I think <laughs> reducing it is like the first step. And then now you can always increase it as high as you really want to. But if you don't reduce or at least learn to reduce or have that frugality mindset or at least understand how to be frugal, then, I mean, uh, lifestyle creep is a real thing. Like you can make you, your upside is always going to go up or has the ability to. But if your lifestyle creep follows, then there's really no spread. So you're, you have a great point there. Well, and, and just one of the ways to make a lot of a lot of money to really scale your income is to embrace the irregularities that come with with those types of opportunities, like a sales job or equity in a startup or, uh, you know, the, uh, a business that's going to take you a year to build and won't pay off for three or four or five years. Right. If you can if you spend all you earn, you, you just don't have the opportunity. You can't take those opportunities with that. And so that can dramatically improve your financial position in fits and starts and huge lumps forward that you can't even under you can't even conceive of uh, if you're optimized on the income front and spending all of that and you just spend every dollar. So that's why, yeah, I think you start with with exactly right there. Makes perfect sense. Yep, I agree. So, what's your position graduating high school? Um, graduating high school, I would say. Uh, I went to, I left my city. I, I was born and raised in Las Vegas. I left Vegas, went to an HBCU in Kentucky, and I spent a year there and decided I'm spending way too much money and having way too much fun compared to what I'm learning, at least. Um, and it decided, it, it helped me decide that I wanted to come home. So I went home and went to UNLV. Um, at that point, I think I had racked up. 20 grand in student loans, maybe in that first year, just from living on campus, et cetera. Um, 
I always worked in high school. Like I probably worked one or two actual W-2 jobs, always had like a candy business that I did in high school. And I bought my own, well, no, my parents helped me get a car. And I don't think I saved any of that. Like I was always the person that knew how to make money. And I was never the person that was like actually uh, saving it. So after my first year, I would say I probably had like 20 grand in student loan debt, but that's it. I didn't have any like credit cards or or car notes or anything like that. Um, After that, I came back to UNLV and took the long route of graduating. Um, It took me, I think, seven years and I got a, a computer engineering degree which I guess in the long run is worth it, but um, don't take the seven year route if you, if you have a chance, if you have a choice, if anybody's listening. Um, what slowed you down? What, what, what happened to take seven years? There's no really good reasons. I just, it was hard. <laughs> I didn't pass mm-hmm. my classes. Um, I was distracted. I, I did work through college. So, I mean, I could say I worked full time. I worked um, at different restaurants on the strip and things like that. But I don't think those are excuses. I should have just worked harder. And computer engineering is like a very big challenge. So it was like the hardest mm-hmm. thing I've ever done. Um, that There's probably a couple of other things that are probably not related to the podcast that just, you know, distractions, really. F- fair enough. So so what year do you graduate uh, with the computer degree? And what's your kind of financial position at that point? Yeah, so I graduated 2017. And I probably, within that time period, racked up another 20 grand. So I think I'm like 40-something, $38,000, in student loan debt. Um, I was working, so I thought I needed to buy a nice car. So I bought a Mustang. I did do it like the kind of right way to where I got it used. I got it to where it never lost the amount of value that I bought for. So I was always like on an upside there. Um, and I got a couple of credit cards, but nothing that was like extravagant, like maybe one or $2,000 here, here and there. And I was always working through college. So at the point, I, I think at the time where I graduated, I had like 40 grand in student loan debt. I got married the week or so before or after I graduated. So that was like another $4,000 or so. Um, and I think me and my wife both having engineering degrees was like, we both had some student loan debt, so I just accumulate hers into mine as well. So I track both of our net worth, but as a family. You only spent four thousand dollars on your wedding. It was five, six, seven thousand, or five or six times that. But um, that was the only thing that we had to put on credit cards. Yeah. Oh, okay. I was going to say that's that's. <laughs> you were able to. Um, I mean, that's still. You could spend a hundred thousand dollars on your wedding. There's yeah. lots of really, really expensive yeah, weddings, yeah. but um, all right. So we're we're in 2017. Um, just got married. We've got five thousand in credit card debt, forty k in student loans, and we've got a Mustang and two engineers uh, married there. How how do we have more student loan debt because you you've pulled that in? What's the what's the total there? Uh, I think my wife was a lot better than me, and she also went through it a little faster than I did. So I think she was only about twenty grand in student loan debt. Um, so she's got twenty. She had a really good job in Vegas where she was like a cocktail waitress and making really good money. So she got an even nicer car um, and a little more expensive. But again, she was paying for it. So that wasn't my decision if we weren't married at the time. Um, another car was probably thirty thousand, and um, I think we probably probably have like another five grand and just 
combined credit cards because we used to travel, a, not used to, we still travel a lot, but we traveled a lot and international. Before you know what you're doing, it gets really expensive. So so what's the total debt? What's the total debt we've got going up here? We got car loans, we got student loans, we got some credit cards, all that kind of stuff. But So let's see, we've got 40 in your student yep. loans and 20 in hers. So that's 60 yep. plus 30 for her yep. car. So that's 90. Yep. And then let's call it 10,000 in credit card debt randomly. Mm-hmm. And did you have- so that's a hundred. Do we have loans for your car? And then your yeah. And then his car. Yeah. How much was your car? By 2017, I had got another one, so it went up a little bit. I think it was about 20. So I think going into so in 2017, once we both graduated, we moved from Vegas to Indiana. That was like the breaking point for us. So I think in that move, we were probably negative 110, 120, somewhere around there. Um, and that's okay. probably like the best point to start of like when I decided, okay, now we're married. So now you're making really good money. Well, we moved, so jobs change, but I can kind of do what I know to control our finances and make better decisions, things like that. Okay. So, and you're saying this is a turning point. Do you, mm-hmm. do you kind of like look up and kind of, you know, uh, have, have, have trouble kind of comprehending the debt? Do you, do you listen to something, read something, you you know, how does, how does that kind of pivot in your, your framing of the financial situation come about? Uh, there's a lot there. So there's, I will put it a few things. One is I would call it geo arbitrage or some geo hack. We isolated ourselves, which is one thing that I always suggest for people to do. We moved from Las Vegas, where we were both born, well, I was born and raised. We both spent like the last 20 years of our lives, all of our friends, everything we know, and moved to Indiana. And it was for work, but at the same time, it was like, we don't have friends here. We're starting over from scratch. We're not like being influenced to do a bunch of different things. Second thing is we had gotten married that year. I know a bunch of stuff about finance and I personal finances. I'm kind of like into it. Um, but I was making like, I worked at a small little restaurant and I was just a guy, you know, making whatever kind of money on the side so I can go through college. She's making really good money. And she was also more of a spender than I'm more of a saver or kind of the personal finance guy. Um, I always tell her if I was in her position, I would have turned our stuff around and maybe I wouldn't have, but I would, I didn't want to tell her what to do with her money when she was the one making it when we weren't married. Um, so us getting married was more like, a, okay, now we need to figure out what we're going to do with our money. Um, so that was another thing. And then the third thing I would say is you guys say it all the time, who you spend the most time with is who you'll start being more like. And because I did this like geo hack where we're not like around all of our friends, um, the top, the people that I spent the most time with was really you guys. Like I was listening to the podcast, listening to a bunch of other FI podcasts. Uh, I read every time I would listen to the podcast, I would go and rent the book from the public library in Indiana or wherever, any other library. And I just pretty much read, listen to podcasts and was on Mr. Money mustache and doing the whole thing. And like took a year of like figuring a bunch of stuff out. And there's like a really good story behind all that too. Well, let's go into that and let's start with, you know, what's the, what is the, the, the conversation with your wife look like about money since that's a big change and is that an event or is that a process, uh, that, that, that goes on there? Uh, it's both really. So the event is she's making really good money working on the strip in Vegas and I'm making not so good money. We both graduate. I drag her from making all this really good money to Indiana where I get a job first. And I'm making it, you know, an engineer 
but starting engineer salary, like $60,000, And she didn't find a job until after we got there. So she went from like making really good money to depending on me for a few months of income. So that's the event. The process is, hey, I found this FI thing and I'm also interested in personal finance. I need you to like not spend any money so we can like budget and figure our lives out. <laughs> so that was a process to get that like through one, from one year through the other. And um, <laughs> it wasn't a very fun process of change for her. Uh, it was definitely a struggle, but she's like, wow, what a surprise. <laughs> but she's my buddy though. She's uh she's, she's always been real cool about it. And she's always been open to a lot of things and, um, I think now, I think she really, really, really appreciates it. And we always look back on our Indiana years. We were there for two years. And I think things like literally did a 180 since then. And I think she really appreciates that. So um, did, did you have questions specifically about that process? though? <laughs> yes. So what did you say to her? Because that can, when you're the spouse that is the spender and the saver comes up and says, you need to not spend so much mm-hmm. money. It feels like an mm-hmm. attack. So how did you phrase it to her in a way that she got on board? Yeah. Or was that a series of conversations? Because I think it, you know, when when you discover financial independence, you're like, oh, oh we got to do this. We got to do this. And you think, oh, it'll just be one conversation. And they'll be like, oh, yeah, that sounds mm-hmm. great. And it never really seems to be that conversation yeah um it she's super (laughs) open-minded and super she's like if you want to run with something i got your back so she was supportive um it was hard to change i would say the real life decisions probably for her and for me as well i'm not gonna say i just didn't spend money because i was the same way as well um but what we did is we talked about it i kind of explained some of the easy numbers, the high level things. Um, she's like, okay, cool. Like, how do we get it done? Um, we would have like finance Fridays where we would like cook dinner and then just kind of chill at home and then read like a Mr. Money mustache article or something like that. Um, and sometimes I would like send her the podcast that I thought she'd listen to and enjoy. Um, that was a little aggressive. So those didn't always go through the same way, but I think she figured it out and understood and i would say just it's just really experienced the more you're exposed to it the more it kind of makes sense to you it's just like if i give you guys something that you don't know and you're i'm like after x amount of time you'll it'll mean something to you um you have to experience it and go through and i think over those couple of years it all started to make sense in addition to that um it wasn't it was a little bit easier for me because she was we were kind of in a position where if we didn't do this, we would be struggling. Well, I wouldn't say more because we were like just barely getting by at this time. Um, when we moved, we had the debt. And then we also went from her making really good money to us both making kind of mediocre salaries. And we're pretty much trying to grow it from there. Um, and we had the debt from when we were making really, really good money um, before our professional set. Uh, salaries or our professional careers. Um, so we had to cut back on some things and we had to kind of take a step back. And um, it was a struggle for us, but I think it was more so because of the salary change and we were kind of forced to make some of these changes. So it was kind of a good thing 
um, of uh, the timing was kind of perfect. Um, and now that we've both been working for four plus years in our in our current positions, um, we've kind of increased our salaries or I've kind of changed jobs that increased how much I have my earning potential. What um what does this first year look like in terms of you paying off the debt or beginning to accumulate wealth in some in some way? How does that you know you're, you're having these conversations? You're you're spending a mm-hmm. year listening to these things. I assume you're making lifestyle changes and cutting back a lot on a lot of things. How, how yeah. much damage are you able to do to that debt? Um, honestly, it wasn't very like we had. I took the um, spreadsheet. Actually, that spreadsheet wasn't created yet. So I took like the Dave Ramsey approach of the snowball effect. And I listed all of our debts, listed our minimum payments and said, okay, we can put X amount towards it. Excuse me. That X amount was very little at that time. Um, and it was, there wasn't much that we could do. And, uh, we, we cut back on some of our lifestyle things and replaced it with things like hiking or things like hanging out and listening to music at home, et cetera. Um, but there wasn't much that we could do. And if I'm being honest, it actually probably got a little bit worse before it got better um, because I opened a business when we were in Indiana and uh, that business was going well for a really long time until I got exhausted and overwhelmed and probably closed it pre like way before I should have and didn't close it the right way where I could have like at least broke even on it and I actually accumulated even more debt um, because of the business and we didn't knock off very much in that meantime. So, so what, wh- is this? This is about a year, a year and a half after you moved to Indiana. I would say, the- I would say 2018, it opened in 2000 or no, I think 2018 is when I began working on it by 2019, January is when it like officially opened. So almost the second year. So when does your debt level peak? Like when's, what's the, what's the, the, the most in-depth point? That happened, I guess the day we decided to close business for good. Um, And it was like, okay, all these business loans that the business was paying for stopped. Um, Well, they stopped getting income and I got it like under my personal name. So I was still responsible for it. And we still had all the previous stuff as well. So at this point, I think we're probably 170,000 negative at that point. Uh, no, I would say probably closer to like, I think it was like a total of 20, 30. Yeah, probably like 170 <laughs> negative in complete like in, entire debt. So, yeah. And this is like summer of 2019. From there, we decided, I was like, okay, before we decided to close it, we had to have a plan because um, otherwise we need the business to pay for the business debt. Um, and there's a huge reason why the business closed, but that's, I guess for for the business podcast for on bigger pockets, <laughs> um, the plan was to leave Indiana, go back to Vegas, where we have like connections, we have roots, and we have other things that we can do. Um, and I was going to pursue my career um, and go into the, a sales role because I had kind of ventured off into it, but it was post sales, so I wasn't getting commissions or anything like that, um, and. From there, we could also do what I call a mini house hack or a reverse house hack. Um, so I closed the business and we moved from Indiana back to Vegas and we stayed with really close friends slash family. And what I call it was reverse house hack is we're not really house hacking where we own the real estate and we're letting someone live with us, but we 
essentially get the same benefits out of it by staying with someone else. So we negotiated with our friends that we'll pay $600 a month that because their mortgage is like $1,000 or less. I think it's a little less. And we would pay $600 towards their thousand, which would cover, you know, our rent for our one room out of their four. Plus it would also cover for um, all of the utilities. So now we've gone from like $1,200 rent and plus another three or $400 in utilities down to just $600. We still both have have both of our incomes. So that cleared like $800 of cash flow every single month. Um, from there, I also was working remote. My wife got a job in Vegas. And then I also got another job um, in Vegas where I was making pretty much double, but I still had the two jobs for like a few months. Um, that gave us a whole lot of cushion to where we were making like two, in, really three incomes for a few months. And one of the incomes was double what it used to be. So what did your household income change from on a monthly or annual basis in this period? We were both making in the 60s. So I think it was about 5K a month before taxes. The other one was like double. So it went from like five to 10K total before taxes to like 20 um, with keeping the other job. And then after I stopped working the first remote job, I think it was like 15. What are the two jobs? So before I was just a software engineer and um, I kind of made my way to the sales process doing professional services. Um, and then from there, I went and worked as solutions consultant, which is another way of saying a sales engineer. So I was working with the sales teams. Okay. Well, and the second job, what was that? That is the second, or that's the second job. That's this higher paying. That was like pretty much double job. The first job was the uh, software engineer. So you're working 40 hours a week as a software engineer and after hours in this solutions engineering sales type role. In addition to that, same company for both of these? No. So I was working with a, a company in Indiana where it's really all over the country, but I had the job in Indiana, started working remotely. Um, and that was more so I would do that when I had the time to do it. Every now and again, I'd have meetings during the day, but it didn't inter intercede or kind of overlap too much. Um, and then when it did start to, that's when I had to quit the job. Uh, but the real first, per, like the first um, priority job was the sales engineering role that I was, you know, it was a local job that I had to be at and um, it was making way more money. So I, you know, prioritize that for sure. And what's your, what's your wife's two jobs during this period or job? She just had the one. So she's just a civil engineer, not just a civil engineer. She's a civil engineer, um, a really good one. <laughs> okay. So, so you go from making 10 K a month to 20 K a month and you're paying $600 a month in rent. And I assume continuing a lot of the frugal habits you developed in Indiana. Is that right? Yeah. So we developed all those habits and we brought those with us. Um, we started like sharing expenses for groceries slash eating out because we're living with a whole nother couple. Um, pretty much everything we had cut in half except for our rent or living expense like decreased dramatically. Um, then we were awesome. paying like so additional thousand to two thousand dollars a month extra on our debt. Okay, great. So you're paying one to two thousand a month and in, in going towards the debt at this point and on this new cash flow. So what is that how does that look like over the next six to twelve months? So how much damage are you able to start doing? Yeah. So I would say this is, that was like the real turning point for us. So in 2019, the end of the year is when I got that second job. Um, that's when I started like actually tracking our stuff, our debt, or I call it our, our 
well, let me let me look it up really quickly because I have it right here. And I look at it pretty much every day. Our wealth tracker is goes back to 2019 and we were at like the negative 170 and I would say six months. I'll just go a year. I'll just go to 2020. And it looks like we were at negative 100,000. So like a fifty dollars to $60,000 change happened in that. And it's not just paying off the debt fast. It was also, um, this is like, this is like March, 2020 that I'm looking at. Um, COVID happened. So we got like the COVID relief, whatever thousand dollars per person. We also got tax returns, um, which actually increased quite a bit because of the debt from the business. Um, we also got, um, I think those were the two big things that went into additionally paying just, you know, a couple thousand dollars extra in debt. Plus we also, um, have, uh, things that, um, retirement accounts that had increased. So this is more of our net worth rather than our. When it comes to financial guidance, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When Mindy and I want to upgrade our wallets, we turn to NerdWallet. Scott's right. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, Mindy and I were paying for vacations in cash, missing out on miles, and not even knowing what we're leaving on the table. But now we're flying through the skies for free, thanks to our new cards with more miles and upgrades than ever. So if you want more travel rewards, hotel upgrades, or airport lounge access, no matter where you go next, let NerdWallet help you make it happen with a killer travel card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms of each credit card issuer apply. I used to think working from home was the dream, until it wasn't. Between the distractions and the solitude, I was struggling. But then I discovered Industrious Office, and honestly, it's been a game changer. Every day at Industrious feels like stepping into a zone of productivity. The high-speed internet never fails me during crucial moments, and the workspace? It's not only stylish, but designed to boost your focus and creativity. Plus, the daily breakfast and endless coffees are super cool. Meeting other driven professionals right where I work has not just expanded my network, it's inspired me. It's amazing how being around other focused people can push you to achieve more, you know what I mean? If you're looking for a sign to change your workspace, this is it. Check out Industrious by visiting biggerpockets.com industrious. Then click join now and use the promo code pockets to get a free week of co-working when you take a tour. That's biggerpockets.com industrious and use promo code pockets after clicking join now. Experience for yourself how the right environment can change the way you work. Industrious. It's where your best work happens. Real estate investing is great, but for some, the tenant phone calls and clogged toilets aren't all that attractive. So how do you invest in real estate without getting your hands dirty? Invest for truly passive income with Pine Financial Group. Pine's mortgage fund offers an 8% preferred return and an attractive profit split with 70% of profits going to the investors. You'll earn passive income by participating in lending to house flippers. And it's secure because senior lien holders, that's you, get paid first. Their rigorous underwriting process and the backing of the physical asset provide additional security in case of borrower default. Plus, by investing with Pine Financial Group, you contribute to the revitalization of communities by redirecting your funds from Wall Street to Main Street, 
supporting local economies and generating profits simultaneously. This investment is reserved for accredited investors, but if you are not accredited, Pine Financial has options for you too. Don't miss this opportunity to back Main Street over Wall Street and start earning passive real estate income. Learn more about investing with Pine at pinefinancialgroup.com slash BP. That's pinefinancialgroup.com slash BP. You're trying to close on your next rental, so why is your insurance company dragging its feet? With long lead times and never-ending paper forms, it's no wonder it takes forever to finally get a policy. Modern investors deserve better. They deserve Steadily.com. At Steadily.com, you'll get fast, affordable landlord insurance available online 24-7 in just a few clicks. You can even get next-day coverage, which takes just minutes, by the way, to obtain. And you can do it all from your phone. Steadily was founded by landlords who created insurance products tailored to the unique needs of this industry. It's their sole focus, and that's why landlords nationwide consistently rate them 4.8 out of 5 stars. So whether you've got a single-family, short-term, or multifamily portfolio, Steadily.com can secure the best coverage at the best price to protect your properties. Discover how Steadily can save you both time and money on your rental property insurance. Visit Steadily.com for a commitment-free quote tailored to your needs today. Um, Just our debt. Darius, just a moment ago, you said something that I thought was brilliant. And it's so simple. You said, I created a spreadsheet and I look at it pretty much every day. Mm -hmm. And... I have frequently compared getting out of debt to losing weight. You know what you have to do and you know how to do Mm -hmm. it. But just because you know it doesn't mean that you're going to do it. And just, just like when you are trying to lose weight, you step on the scale every day at about the same time. So you're not, you know, weighing yourself in the morning one day and right after a big meal the next day, you step on the scale every morning at the same time and you keep track. And it's real easy to see when you're veering off course when you're looking at it every single day. And it's really easy to skip that. Oh, I know I had six beers last night, so I don't want to look at it today. And then, well, I didn't weigh myself yesterday, so I don't have to weigh myself tomorrow either. And it's so easy to veer off course and recorrecting or correcting, I guess, is more difficult. You look at it every day. It You keep it in your mind. And then once you start doing that, you go out and you're like, oh, I don't want to buy this because then I'm going to have to enter this into my spreadsheet tomorrow. And I don't want to look at this and see the problem. Or, hey, I know I don't need this because I have been keeping track and we're doing so well and I want to keep that momentum. Mm-hmm. So uh, my husband is the same way. He gets up in the morning and pretty much the first thing he does is open up the computer and check all the things. And he loves to do that. And it keeps it in his mind. And it's it's brilliant in its simplicity. If you want to change your debt, look at it every day and see where it's going and see what you're doing. I love that. Yeah. And, and it seems like this is the turning point for you is after you start looking at it every day, we now see numbers really begin to move in a really meaningful way. I mean, that's that's incredible to, to build sixty, seventy thousand dollars in net worth in a matter of seven, eight months with this. Um, and I, I imagine a lot of that was going towards the debt pay down, which is not tax advantaged. You know, you're not you're not able to shelter this. This is just hustle and and keeping as many of those dollars you're earning as you possibly can with this. Yep, exactly. I, I always also compare. Um, 
getting financially fit to like working out or losing weight. And for me, it's like um, one of those things that for me, it's like automation. You can't automate, um, you know, yourself walking on a treadmill. But what you can do is automate your schedule to where every single day you have to make sure that you work out. And the way that I did that before is I had to make sure I wake up at a specific time and I had like three things to do. I had to read something for X amount of time. I had to uh, work out and I had to, I forget what the third thing, I think it was like meditate. And I literally had like one hour to do this or I'd be late for work. So this is how I um, automated that. And I did the same thing with our budget. Um, And that's, I think what helped me and my wife, especially, have some of the frugality, some of the frugal ways that we have now, just because it's easy to get off track if you, I guess, allow room for that for yourself to get off track. Um, one one thing that I say is people spend and they, you, you don't really, you spend more than you want to, but when it stops is when your bank account gets empty. Like you stop and you figure out what else you can do other than spend. So what I always do is I use different accounts that each get empty um, or they get refilled. But if once that account gets empty, then you can't spend for that specific thing. So we have like a bills account that we don't touch. It's sacred. It's like you cannot move money out of that thing. Only money goes in and then they're all everything's auto transferred out or auto paid out. We also have like a fun money account. If you're wanting to do something is for fun or it goes on that card, once that's empty, then you, I mean, you're done until you, until you get money back in there. So that's one of the ways that we kind of fix that problem as well. How much do you allot for the fun money? Today or back in the day? <laughs> Both. <laughs> yeah. Um, it started off with zero, honestly. Uh, we shared a fun money account and it was like, we didn't have money for it. Um, and we, I set milestones for us once we pay off this amount of debt or once we um, get to this net worth, which is usually like from negative 100 to negative 60, you know, then we'll get $100 a month, 100. Um, today, we're more so, I think we're at like 500 a month each. And we also have like a travel account that we add to. So it's getting kind of out of hand, but in a, it's still, we're still taking care of all of this important stuff too. That's the point. Right. That's the point is to, is to do this so you can you can have those rewards. Mindy, you're about to say something. I was going to say, I love this idea. What you said is so spot on. When you are paying for things and you don't have any more money, you don't buy any more things. I mean, of course, you could put it on a credit card, but we're not talking about that. We're talking about paying for cash or using debit cards or things like that. That's I love that. When you're out of money, then you don't spend that anymore. If you've got the bills account and this is just for bills, I can't take that and go out to lunch with my friend. That goes into that, you know, my fun money mm-hmm. account. And, you know, $500 is a lot of fun money, but that's your money to spend as you want to. I'm assuming that we have fast forwarded to paying off all this debt. Yeah. Yeah. So we're in March 2020 What? what and we have negative 120 in net worth. Is that right? Uh-huh. And we and and how how do things proceed from there? So I think from March 2020. So as of this is July now, we just paid off. Um, we have one debt left from the business, and it's like eight thousand dollars now. Um, and we just passed last month the zero dollar mark in net worth. So now we're finally a positive net worth. Um, so we have like eight thousand. 
excluding student loans, because I'm still hoping for uh, Uncle Biden to come through with those things. But we're <laughs> we're saving up money and not putting towards the student loans, but we're saving up our monthly amount in another account. So hope, hoping that uh, if they do pay those off, then we'll just use it towards you know an investment. And if they don't, then you know we'll probably just use it towards that. But um, I I think I missed some of the question that you asked. Well, just how, how are things, how are things proceeding? So you're saving a few thousand dollars a month. It sounds like, um, it sounds like this just the status quo continues. You guys are working, um, saving and periodically upping your fund money as you hit certain milestones with this, which I think is a great formula, um, uh, for success there. And, and last month we get to a zero net worth. It sounds like. Correct. Uh, so we are, currently just eight grand in debt other than the other than the um student loans um in two months it'll be paid off so after july's payment and then after august payment it'll be paid off because august gets a bonus for my job and we'll just use that to pay it and then we'll have twenty five hundred dollars freed up of literally like debt so now we're gonna take that and start using that for in towards investment. So we'll probably save up to get like a down payment for a house, or we'll we'll figure out what we want to do. If nothing else, we'll put into index funds. Um, that or my wife might work less or not at all because there is a baby on the way. So that's like the next plan. It kind of opens up things for us to have like opportunity of what we need to do or want to do uh, for next year. Well, that's awesome. Congratulations on the the new family member with all this stuff and getting back to zero. And look at that, that the, the the work that you just put in to, to knock this all out probably makes that decision to have your wife potentially stay at home for a little bit that much easier than it would have been if, if you hadn't gone through this this grind, that you just, this three-year grind that you just kind of des- described here. Absolutely. Well, easier or even possible. Mm-hmm. There are a lot of two family, two income families that can't, not be two income families. So I think that's that's fantastic. Again, it just opens up more options. Um, are you going to continue to live with this other couple? Do they have children? Do they know about your baby? <laughs> so we actually don't live with them anymore. Um, oh, okay. Last year we bought, so after, uh, after I started making more income, we bought a house um, but we bought it. We bought a new build. So we had like a bunch of time to save up for really we weren't saving up. We were paying off debt and then we had just enough money for our down payment. Um, and that switch happened sometime last year as well. So we actually are doing a different house hack right now where we have a three story house in Vegas and we have the whole third story is like a whole suite bathroom bedroom, everything. And we have someone renting that out. So I guess I left that out into this growth path as well. On your net worth spreadsheet, how is your kind mm-hmm. of payments per, per your, your, your net worth per month kind of trended? Has it been, did you start off with maybe a thousand or 2000 and kind of begin accelerating that to three, four, 5,000 a month over time? Or how has that looked? Yeah. For the last few months, it's been five grand every month. It's our net worth has gained or between sometimes it varies. Sometimes it's like four, sometimes it's like six. Um, and then every third month or every quarterly it goes up to like about 10, just because of the bonus, um, that I get. Um, but before this current job that I have, um, we also, I think before then it was going up between two and four. So it was like, 
it's just been accelerating since um, some of this going towards investments rather than just going towards paying the down debt. Yeah, I mean it's a it's a huge inflection point that you've grinded out for two years, two or three years to get to, and you're you're in for great sure. shape now. Can can I ask how old you are? I just turned thirty this year as well. Both me and my wife. All right, so th- Scott, we have we have very similar like timelines. Like I, I, I followed <laughs> the podcast for a long time. I feel like we got married around the same time. I feel like we are around the same age, and um, once you were at bigger pockets, I think that's around the time that I uh, got my first professional job. Actually, I think you were a little bit for me before that one. Nice, yeah. Um, I, and I, I was uh, remembering you, you sent me an email a few years ago about a lot of this progress here and a lot of and a, a lot did. of details. So that was that was really cool to see is to hear that pro- hear that and then now now here you are with with completely back to zero and in, and in great shape with a lot of this stuff. For sure. I would love to dive more into the student loan conundrum with that. How much how much student loans how, what what is your student loan balance today? And mm-hmm. how does one noodle on this? Because I think I think it's an art here, but I want to hear what's going on in your brain about that decision and the amounts and the stakes there for you. Uh, so there's two things. I'll start with just answering your question directly. And then there's like another caveat that's like, Probably also something that people might have opinions about, but you know I don't really mind too much. Um, so my thing is, there's rumors that they want to pay off X amount of dollars in student loans, and uh, I don't want to miss out on the opportunity if I have that chance. Right now, there's no interest on it, so I'm not like losing out by not paying it. Um, so we are just literally putting that payment towards another debt because we know for sure that it's gonna take effect right now and actually help us out. Um, if they do pay it off, then my wife should be completely cleared out because she's like gotten kind of lower. Mine is like, I've always just paid the interest, so I'm still at like 38,000. Um, and we'll have enough money to just pay that off completely if we choose to do that. Um, I won't choose to do that though, so that doesn't really matter either way, but um, I'll still at least get some of it paid for. Um, the second part of it is it, within all of this, I worked for uh, when I got the new job as a sales engineer, um, it was for a startup and that startup folded. So last year, um, like less than a year into me working for this new company, it went under and um, it was like right after, like the month after we paid our first mortgage uh, I lost my job, which is like the bigger job paying all of our bills. And it was like panic mode for a day. Then it was like, okay, we'll be fine. Um, but because of that, we put our house into uh, forbearance and we've not had to pay a mortgage. And we've included, uh, we've been increasing our forbearance. So we have like three months left on that. But I got another job like a couple months later. And we've been paying ourselves the mortgage into a high interest savings account. And that way, if once the forbearance is over, if we need to just give them all that money, then we'll have that money available to give them. Um, hopefully, they just put it at the back end of the loan and we just get a year of free mortgage. And that would be beautiful. Um, and then we'll either use that towards an actual down payment for another mortgage, or I don't know what we'll do with that, but we have a few options there. So there's like 20 grand in a ally account that we're also not touching as well. So what's been happening is, is you have only been, you've been making no payments on the student loans with no interest, and Correct. you've been making no point payments on the mortgage, your house hacking, and you're saving a ton of money 
um, as a result in cash that you're built, you're building up a very large cash balance as a result Correct. of this. So it's kind of like just lucky timing to lose your job, which is, I don't know how that works, but yeah. Um, but exactly what you said, we're house hacking, saving up money, not paying a couple of things that the government said that we don't have to for now and saving up that money to be able to pay it when they do, when they do tell us we have to. So the current, the current picture is, for your financial position is, is a slightly positive net worth with 38,000 plus some in student loan debt, a mortgage mm-hmm. balance and Correct. a savings rate of a few thousand a month, um, mm-hmm. but a forbearance ba- balance building with a lot of this stuff and a couple of investments in work 401ks, and those kinds of things. And I don't cl- include my mortgage in my like net worth that I track because it's like you never know how much somebody would buy your house for you, but you do know how much the debt is. But if we include that, we have because we bought like right before this crazy market started, and like I think our starting price for our house has gone up like fifty thousand dollars. So we have a, a whole lot of equity, but I don't include that in our net worth though. Okay, um, what I understand about the forbearance process is that you, uh, I did you have to prove a hardship? Like, did you have to say I lost my job? And then they uh, put you into the forbearance plan. What I understand is that the the payments that you're not making currently just get tacked on to the end of the loan. Um, you, you used a phrase, so we just get a free year. You're actually going to be paying interest on that. You are, yeah. You know, for the for that extra year. Correct. So it, it isn't free. I want to, I want to make sure. sure people aren't hearing that as free, but um, I hear, I understand what you're yeah. saying. Um, and you got another job right away, which is nice. I'm not sure that you're going to be able to get a mortgage in the next year or so. And this is something that you should talk to a lender about before you start looking for another property because you were in the forbearance program. And Scott, was it Seth Jones that we were talking to about that? Um, I didn't even look up his episode number. I have to go back and look it up really quickly. Uh, he, and he, we talked to him right when that first came out. So I'm not even sure that that is, um, that that's completely 100% correct information yeah. now as well. Cause I'm sure there have been things that, that, uh, worked themselves out over time, but I would definitely talk to a lender and see if I can't get a loan next year. When can I get a loan? There might have to be a year before you come out of the forbearance plan before you're even eligible to get another mortgage. Yeah, there's three ways of doing it. Putting it at the end was one of them. Um, Changing how much your mortgage is by increasing it just to catch up is another. And then just paying it all outright is the third option. So, um, and I think it's dependent on your situation. So I'm just waiting for them to tell me which one is for us. I would prefer to put it at the end. Um, but if that still is that, if that is an option, then we can do a creative financing way to get another more, um, get another house. But if not, we can always invest somewhere else as well. So I'm, I'm kind of open to all those options. Yeah, I think that would be a good one okay. to talk to your lender about and see which one of those will have the best um to give you the best chance to recover from the fact that you have a forbearance now um, yeah. in terms of getting that next that next mortgage if you're going to try to invest in real estate um, with, with a lot of that. Yeah. And I would I would ask them, you know, what is the scenario for each one of these? Like, what is the uh, consequences isn't the right word. Scott, what am I trying to think of? Um, what is ramifications? What happens? Yeah. Ramifications. Yeah. What happens? If I choose to put it all at the end of the loan, 
what happens if I choose to just pay it out? Like if you choose to pay it out and then you can get a loan right away, maybe that's the best option. If you've got a property that's really great. If I mean, right now, this market is so nuts. It almost doesn't even make sense to be looking. Um, I'm with you on that. So, yeah, I would definitely talk to them and, you know, talk to them now and see what options you have. There might be options that we haven't even thought of. Right. Darius, how, how do you think about your cash flow right now mm-hmm. since you're not paying on a student? Like, w- like what's your cash flow right now um, that you're able to accumulate on a monthly basis? And what would it be if you have to pay that mortgage and begin paying off the student loan debt um, to some degree? So essentially, the cash flow will be the same. So we're paying this. The mortgage is just not going to the mortgage company. It's going into account that we can't touch or we don't touch. Um, so it's not in any of the money that we're touching. So we have the money for the mortgage just to... I see. And we're also like budgeting that we're paying our mortgage. We're paying all everything as well. Um, student loans as well. We have that money is going towards um, that last debt that we have. Um, but it's 200 something for mine and 100 something for my wife's. And we're paying $2,500 a month extra on that third, on that last loan. So we've got a lot of room there. I see. I see. Sorry. Yes. You mentioned that before and it makes sense. So you, you are continuing to operate very conservatively as if you are making these payments. You're just stockpiling it in cash because while you're kind of assessing your options and seeing how the cards fall with a lot of these things. Right. So either way, we'll be able to, you know, go depending on either way that they tell us that we need to go. I, I think this is really interesting and something I haven't fully wrapped my my brain around yet uh, with part of your story here, because I can see why you're making the moves you're making. And um, I have a few heart palpitations about the way that you're <laughs> the way that you're doing it with the forbearance piece. And then, you know, kind of the wait and see approach with the student loans, with those types of things. So I think I like, like hey, hey, I, I, I can completely empathize now that I'm seeing that and I'm trying to kind of noodle on that as as an approach for this so what do you Mm -hmm. how do you think things are going to play out what's your kind of hope going forward over the next six months um as you come out of forbearance and let's assume that the the student loans are not uh there is no federal markdown or contribution to the student loans yeah so i'll i'll go worst case scenario first worst case scenario is the forbearance is over and they say hey you owe us 20 grand then i'll just take the 20 plus 20 grand or there's more than 20 grand in the account, take 20 grand from it, pay them and continue paying the mortgages as we've been doing before. Um, the student loans, let's say that ends and we have to pay that, then we'll just, instead of paying almost 3000 on the last debt, we'll pay 2,700 on it. Even though the payment's only 400, we'll pay 2,700 and put the 300 towards that. Everything else stays the exact same. We're still saving the same amount. We're still investing the same amount. We still have the same amount of fund money. We still have the same amount in our bills account. We still have the same amount in our joint account as well. Um, best case scenario, uh, were you going to say something? So Darius, I think, I think you've got a, an interesting approach here and a unique set of circumstances with the moving parts. You're in the middle of, of a very long grind to pay off all of this debt. COVID hits. And suddenly, a lot of things that were certain before become uncertain. What The interest rate in your student loans goes down to zero. There may be a benefit to not paying down the student loans. There, you, know, you're, you're, you lose your job, and you take the, the appropriate defensive step of going into forbearance. You're able to get another job, and you're not required to come out of forbearance at that point, I believe. 
with those types of things. So you're continuing to assess your situation and build a more and more defensive position, which I think is a natural reaction to the COVID environment. And now you have to, you have to kind of see, you're, you're, you're waiting to see where the cards fall. And I think, I think that, you know, you can argue all day about interest rates and spreads and investments and inflation and all this kind of stuff. But I think that the way that things unfolded, I can completely empathize and understand the way that you set this up in a defensive conservative approach to that. And you haven't been, you know, uh, uh, you, you've been applying it all to a bank account with all these types of things to, to wait and see where the cards fall with a couple of these things. And if you can come out of forbearance and tack in on the end of the loan, great, you have that to apply to the highest interest rate debt or the next one in your snowball. Um, and if you have to pay it all off right away, you, you go ahead and do that and you can assess your options from that point. So I think that you've, you've, you've navigated this circumstance from a position of how do I create the most flexibility and assess my options when there's more certainty at a later date, which I, I don't think you can argue with at the strategic level, right? People, I'm sure people will argue with it to a certain extent, but I, I think that I understand the strategic intent behind what you've done with this. And I'm trying to like think about how I would have handled the situation under the same circumstances. And I wonder if I would have made dramatically different choices in some of these in some of these areas. So I think this is going to be a, a really good discussion here. Um, we got to be careful to make sure that no politics get into the discussion uh, in, in, in <laughs> the will. comments on our YouTube channel or YouTube channel or Facebook. We're not going to go into politics on, on on those types of things. We'll just remove them. But I'm really interested to hear uh, at the strategic level how how other people would have navigated this. And I think I think you I I get it. I think that that's that makes sense. Uh, and it's hard, and there's no right answer. It's a mess in the middle of COVID, losing your job while you're in the middle of paying off debt. Like, I, I, I think it's fascinating, and I think you're. I, I thank you for sharing all of this with us because it, this is art, not science, and this is a mess. And and how do you attack a problem like this other than to attempt to build that flexible position and assess options from there? Well, and not only did he lose his job, he lost the main job that was paying the bulk of the bills. And when you lose your main, it's it's so easy to sit here in July of 2021 and say, oh, well, he got another job. When you lost your job in what, April, March, April of 2020, in the middle of the pandemic where we didn't know how it was spread and we didn't know what was going on and everything was shut down and you hear all these stories on the news about how everybody's losing their job, of course, you think that it's going to take you forever to find another job. So I just want to I, I want to throw that out there too. Remember, he's making these decisions a year ago when we didn't know anything. So I think that the mortgage forbearance was a really smart decision based on the information you had at that time. Yeah. Well, I think I, I completely I think that 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 to me is beyond argument at that point, right? You lose your job, you got to go in, and, and, and you're not building a large emergency reserve, I imagine at the time, because you're in debt pay down mode, right? And and so Correct. why would you build an emergency reserve if you have debts to pay, right? So that makes, that makes perfect sense. So in this, that's why the tool exists. The, the strategic question is, that is continuing it after you got the next job with those types of things. That's, I think, mm -hmm. the interesting one. And I don't know if there's a right or wrong answer there with that. Um, I think that's where the debate begins around yeah. around that as a tactical choice and and what what and how to proceed from the current state um, with this because you're, you're right now what you're effectively doing is you're arbitraging the mortgage interest rate 
you're still paying that, right? That's still accumulating um, with that. And you're arbitraging that for a savings account rate um, from this. So I think it's it's probably around time to make a decision about what to do with the more, with the forbearance and, 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 and move out of it. And one of those three, I would be interested to see what the 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 group thinks is a, you know, or, or, or what you decide as a as the option to move out of that with there and how yeah. you would apply that the 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 20 grand that you racked up here. Yeah. So I've only got I think a couple months left. And like I said, I have that oh, the uh almost a year's worth of uh forbearance in a bank account. And there's really there's three options, but there's really two options. Either give them all the money because they ask for it or use that money um, to do something else with it. Um, I am going to do whatever is legal. So I'll just say that first. If they tell me I need to give them the money, then I'll give them the money. Um, if they tell me that we can put it at the back end of that and it's my choice, absolutely. I would rather have 20 grand rather than have um, a year's less of paying it, of paying my mortgage off because I can almost guarantee that I won't pay this house off in the next 29 years. I don't plan on just staying here, whether I keep it or not. Um, I don't pay, plan on trying to pay and get off fast. So if this just stretches out and I can get 20 grand every year for it, I would. So um, as long as it's legal, as long as I'm following the rules and as long as it's, these are options that my mortgage company has given me, um, I would definitely prefer to take the advantage that I have with and the advantage is not that I'm getting, I guess, a free mortgage. The advantage is that they're giving me the option because of my situation. And, and the way it's worked out is you've effectively arbitraged the three, three and a half percent interest rate for 12% appreciation or whatever it is, right? With this. Correct. So, so Probably that, more, that honestly. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe 20% annual appreciation or, or something like that. <laughs> so, so that makes perfect sense. You're not going to pay down the mortgage early. You're probably going to sell the, the asset before you ever pay down the, the full mortgage Correct. with that. So, you know, maybe, maybe this, maybe this is making a lot of sense to me with, 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 with the way you're, you, you've handled the situation. And I think it's, I think it's, um, brave of you to share the specific <laughs> circumstance here because I think yeah. some people have opinions on it. For um, sure. But I, I, I think it's been a valuable discussion with this. And I think that this is the hard stuff that you got to deal with when you're paying yeah. off debt like this and going through this situation you lose your job and you've got the student loan debt still and all this other kind of stuff. And, and, and that's the messiness that, that is personal finance with this kind of stuff. And I, I, and I think it's I think it's a great discussion. So I do too. I want I just want to say, hey, we encourage respectful discussion in our Facebook group. I'd love to hear what you have done in this similar situation, what you would have done. I do not want to hear anything about, oh, you're doing it wrong and this is you're taking advantage and blah, blah, blah. He lost his job at the height of a pandemic that hasn't happened in a hundred years. And I like what you just said, Darius. I'm going to do whatever options my mortgage company gives me that are best for me, legal options. That's your right. Yeah. And then in addition to that, I will also say um, that there are lots of advantages in life um, and you take advantage to what's given to you. Some people are born into a rich family and there's nothing I can do about that. My family was not rich. Um, some people are born with incredible athletic ability. Who's to say that they shouldn't use that to, you know, some people are born with, or not even born, but some people worked hard to get to certain situations and they, you know, 
got those certain situations, but maybe they were in the right time or the right place that they wouldn't have gotten full advantage of, even though they worked hard. So to me, it's just like a, I'm not going to turn down a really good option. And to me, I don't even think it's like, I don't even think it's really that great of an option, like losing your job. Like I just lost my job and then followed through what everyone else did. And then they automatically give you a certain amount of time. So, um, you know, and then I'm just making sure I have the ability to, uh, you know, pay or not versus what the options they gave me. So I'm okay I agree. with whatever comments and would love to, you know, talk about it. I love it, man. Too. I think I, I agree. I think you should, you should approach it from that position of self-confidence and knowing that you're doing what is best for you and your family. Um, or, and you're doing that from position of knowledge and a tremendous amount of self-education and a lot of a fund and a fundamentals based approach that you've been applying for years in a row, uh, with methodically moving towards wealth, like you, you do you. And I, I just thank you for bringing this topic to discussion with this and want to make sure that we are, we're, we're, we're showing that, that the detail and analysis behind that you built the most flexible and defensible position with the best, the, the best set of options that you thought you could create out of navigating the pandemic circumstances. And I, I think it's great. And I, I just applaud you and, and, and I'm grateful you came on the show and, and discussed it with this. Cause I think, I think this is going to help people think about their situation if they're if they're you know in a certain similar set of circumstances and going through similar things that you guys went through when did you take the forbearance did you take it right away after losing the job or did you wait a little bit or how did that work mechanically yeah so for me once i got the notice that we were all losing our jobs we were getting laid off um it was a last check and then there was about three months of emergency funds that we used to pay mortgage to pay every other bill that we have. And um, I thought I would get a job pretty quickly. um, And it did take about four months. And uh, on that fourth month, it was uh, things are starting to hit the fan. I don't know if you can say that word on there, but it was starting to hit the fan. And it was uh, either start to reverse back or to take that forbearance. And that's why I still have a few months left on that forbearance because I didn't do it initially. So um, now we have a like a 12 month spread, but it did take a while before we decided to do that. So otherwise I wouldn't have taken it if we could have just survived that period or if I didn't lose my job, I wouldn't, it wouldn't have even come to mind. So. Nope. Love it. Yeah. I mean, I think, yeah, I, I, I love, I love the way you've thought about this, this challenge. And I think it's, I think it's, it's a fascinating area to navigate and you've done it from a fundamentals principle based approach about how what is best for your financial financial position how do i how do i navigate my cash flow how do i set set up the most flexible future situation so i think it's a fascinating discussion and thank you for sharing it with that um let's go ahead with the famous four uh if now's a good time mindy you want to kick us off I always want to kick us off on the famous four darius these are the same four questions we ask of all of our guests what is your favorite finance book? I have a few, but I'll just give one. Or maybe, can I do like two? You could give us okay. multiple. They're all going to be repeats because I literally get my whole list from your podcast uh, <laughs> at the end. Sometimes I'll just go to the end and then just like make sure I write down these books. Um, but I'll give you one that's probably not from this podcast. And the number one that I have is Profit First, which is actually a business book. Um, and for me, it taught me how to... Um, section everything off into different accounts. So that way I could, um, once I run out, then I don't have money in there. And it 
stop me from spending more. Um, in addition to that, there's a few others like smart couples finish rich or smart whoever, you know, they fill in the blank finish rich. Um, and I think another really big one was um, I will teach you to be rich by Ramit Sethi. I think it's called I will teach you to be rich or I can teach you something like that. Um, those are some of my tops. Yeah, I will teach you to be rich. He is very forceful. <laughs> we, we've actually had Ramit uh, on the show twice now. We'll have to get those episodes and link them in the, in the show notes. Uh, yeah, great, great um, episodes. Darius, what was your biggest money mistake? Our biggest, well, I'll say my, because I'm on the show, but me and my wife combine everything. Our biggest money mistake by far today was, is so bad, um, is like this stupid timeshare thing that I felt fell for. I'm like really big into sales. So I always say like, I can't be really sold to, and we travel a lot. So there's like this thing, hey, come to this casino or this hotel and let's just talk for a minute. And they're like, hey, you should, if you guys travel, you should buy this timeshare and it'll save you all this money. Um, obviously it didn't work out. We never got to use it a single time. Um, it was like a credit card plus a thing that we finance every single month. And then there was like this one time a year fee that was like $900 that you kind of get some back up. It cost us probably thousands of dollars and we just paid it rather than ruined our credit. And it was like bad. It was like a four year thing. That was the biggest thing I was happy to get off of my back, like in 2019. We don't really talk about the timeshares too much on on the on the Baby Money <laughs> Show um, because I've just been so conditioned via South Park to to stay away from those. But yeah, the timeshare the time is not a good uh, not a good one, I think for for folks listening. Uh, stay away in a general sense. Right. I think for sure. I have never heard somebody say, "I went to the presentation, I said no, and they let me go." Uh, they always want to push, push, push. I've never heard anybody say, I bought a timeshare and I enjoy it. I'm happy I did it. I love it. I get to use it all the times that they said. Um, I have taken a friend's week a couple of times. A couple of different friends had weeks. They're like, oh, we can't use it. Like, I can use it. And it's less expensive than if I were to go and rent a place at the same location. But um, with travel hacking, I can't support timeshares. Um, I oh, have very strong opinions and will keep them to myself. Me but too. if you, and you know, if you have the opportunity to go and sit through this free presentation, skip it. Yes. If you can't say no, I'm not going to do this and walk away. It sounds so awesome. Oh, we'll give you a free, uh, a free whatever. Night at a hotel and free. Yeah. No. Skip and it. just don't even the go. The free stuff that they gave us didn't turn out to actually be real or free. So. Just throw that in there too. <laughs> Shocking. Right? Shocking that they didn't live up to all of their promises. Just say no. Don't even go to the presentation. Uh, okay. What is your best piece of advice for people who are just starting out besides don't go to the timeshare presentation? Figure out how you can make more money. But after you figured out how you can get your, your spending to where it needs to be, um, you can only decrease your spending so much. Um, but there's an infinite amount that you can increase your that you can increase your earning potential. Um, and I guess part B to that is one thing I always tell all of my friends or people is that the kind of job that you get is literally the kind of job that you apply for. So like there's like a bunch of jobs out here. And if you let's just say you're in you do retail, you could literally work at like um, 
let's just say, gap. And not that that's a bad job or anything, but you could also do the exact same job and work at like the Gucci store. You know what I mean? Like it just really depends on where you're applying and what your mindset is. So if you think, you know, you want to work in retail, if you want to do whatever job it is, apply for the highest paying version of that and just to keep applying until someone gets you in. So that's like part B of that one. Yeah, thank you. I haven't even heard that advice, but I think it's spot on. It's go after what you want and be relentless for it. And don't, you know, go to the higher end of the scale or the spectrum with that. Take the hardest job, the one that will lead you to the, the, the best career potential with those types of things. I think, it, I think it's awesome. Yep. What is your favorite joke to tell at parties? Everybody always struggles with this. And I, I'm more of a like on the go kind of guy, kind of like you are, Scott, or at least I like to think so. Um, I even Google something and I have notes right in front of me and I, it just says joke right now. I don't know. Um, but I did read something that said, um, where, what is like the, where's the best place for a fortune teller to work? Mm. Where? The bank. <laughs> I, I thought that'd be a pretty good FI joke. Maybe not. Scott didn't laugh. Yet. I think this one went over. I think this one went over my head. They tell your oh, fortune how much your oh, fortune. Yeah, I see. Yes, the bank, bank teller, teller of the fortune. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh. Wow, Scott. Uh, okay. I finally stumped uh, that him. That was guys. good. Yeah, that was great. <laughs> <laughs> I read that. Okay, Darius. Darius, where can people find out more about you? I would say. I have a website. I, I'm not as on social media as I use as much on social media. I have a website. It's called wealthismyworth.com. I don't know if you guys want to put that in the show notes, but you guys can definitely find more information about me and what I do with money there. Um, in addition to that, um, you can just email me. So uh, you can email me at dairies at wealthismyworth.com. Um, or I'm on LinkedIn. That's probably the better place to find me, more professional, things like that. But I do have social media too, but I don't want to link it on here. No, absolutely. We, we will link to all of those and any social media that you'd want to include in the show notes at biggerpockets.com slash money show 221. And um, can you tell us a little bit about Wealth Is My Worth? It's a course that I've taught, either I've recorded and I also teach it live as well. Um, and I'm really just teaching people a lot about personal finance. And it's really like the what we covered today is going from a negative net worth and getting all your debt paid down and getting really back to zero. I think there's other opportunities and courses that can get you from zero to investing and things like that. But what I focus on is really just going from a negative net worth, paying down debt and um, b- not budgeting really so you're putting money in accounts and when it runs out it runs out and uh, i think that's uh, the best way i can describe it in like 30 seconds awesome and that's at wealthismywork.com one last thing you have a spreadsheet that you've used that's very detailed for what you're doing there would that be mm-hmm. something that we could share with uh, the listeners uh, a redacted version or something like that Absolutely. So that is actually the what I use for Wealth is My Worth for that course. And I do sell it, but I can give it to people on here for free just because it's kind of like a side hustle thing. It's not like a main income thing. So we'll have a free version of uh, Darius's uh, in-depth net worth tracker as well at biggerpockets.com slash money show 221 um, as well. So thank you so much, Darius. This has been a fascinating discussion. Wonderful to see your your journey and getting back to zero and all that kind of stuff. So congratulations and all that the success. And I'm I'm really interested to see how the end of twenty twenty one plays out for you here and how you begin attacking the next stage of the wealth journey, the 
in the investing um, grind that you're about to get going into, which is fun and exciting and, and see where you are in a few years. Sounds good. Thank you guys for having me. I'd love to update you guys. Perfect. Thank you, Darius. We'll talk to you soon. Okay, that was Darius Smith. Scott, I loved when you asked him for clarification on that, um, the mortgage forbearance. I think that really helped phrase or, or frame the 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 scenario that he found himself in and the situation that the circumstances that he found himself in. And he's taking advantage of something that's being offered that is, you know, it's going to change his financial picture a little bit, but in the immediate future when he didn't have a job and he wasn't sure what he was going to do, it gave him the flexibility and the breathing room to try and figure something out instead of working from a position of franticness or, you know, desperation. Yeah. And I, and I think that regardless of of feelings about how, whether or not the government should pay off student loan debt, which we're not going to get into on the show, the the choice that Darius is confronted with is if that is coming, do I put myself in a position to receive the gift or do I not? And I think that it's really hard to argue with the logic of why, why would you knowingly give up that gift right there from to a large degree? And I think that that's a difficult um, position to argue with with there. And I think, I think again, like that he's approaching his situation from a position of giving himself the best possible set of options and playing the wait and see game in, during the period of uncertainty that we're currently in. I think he's really thinking through his options and making choices that could have the best financial impact on him personally. From episode 221 of the Bigger Pockets Money podcast, he is Scott Trench and I am Mindy Jensen saying swish, swish, goldfish, which is hard to say really fast. And small multifamily investing is so popular in the Bigger Pockets community. With just a 3.5% down payment, you can own up to four different units. Think about it. If you house hack and live in one of the units, you still have three different groups of tenants helping to pay down your mortgage each month, four kitchens and bathrooms you can renovate to increase your property value, four different Airbnbs, medium-term rentals, or other rental strategies you can try in one property, all in just one transaction. Of course, the question is, where do you find a small multifamily property that you can afford? Which market and which deal is best for you? Once you close, how do you manage it, optimize it, keep scaling, and living your life without being tied down by four leaky toilets or four fussy tenants? These are all great questions, all to be answered in the upcoming Small Multifamily Bootcamp with Chris Lopez and Leica Devtha. So if you're serious about growing your portfolio with this highly efficient strategy, head to biggerpockets.com slash four today and join us in the Small Multifamily Bootcamp. That's biggerpockets.com slash F-O-U-R. See you there. The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only. Past performance is not indicative of future results, and all host and participant opinions are their own. Investment in any asset, real estate included, involves risk. Use your best judgment and consult with qualified advisors before investing. Only risk capital you can afford to lose. Bigger Pockets LLC disclaims all liability for direct, indirect, consequential, or other damages arising from reliance upon information presented in this podcast.